0: Keep your
1: children from hey, Ding Dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's a strong, independent acid snake in the skin suit of a strong, independent woman. It's my sister, Marissa. Marissa.
0: I am uh, my. Unfortunately, my movement class for strong, independent acid snakes is full
1: at this point. Aw, man! <laughs> but if you go to ice cold yoga, you pull so many muscles. Ooh, it's really God. great. <laughs> Gross. So we are here to. I'm really talk- only
0: okay with room temperature yoga. It's the only kind of yoga I'm okay with.
1: I mean, I'm barely okay with that, but gentle
0: I, room temperature
1: yoga. <laughs> I think I think it's. I have trouble with yoga because my core is basically made of cookie dough, <laughs> so I really don't have any core strength to recommend me. Um, but speaking of which, my lack of core strength. I want all of our listeners to know this: that I just got a memory foam mattress topper, and your girl has never been happier (laughs) like i never been happier (laughs) i mean (laughs) maybe that's my back has has not been happier in the last several years what spurred this purchase just my back yelling at me every morning when i got up and uh i was like "Mm, not feeling not feeling too good these days and so i finally i was like well let's try this because i've had the same mattress for like a very long time like longer than probably is recommended i think 10 years is the recommendation all right i'm coming up i'm like around nine years so yeah okay and uh i bought it when i was a little bit brokeish, so it's not the best mattress <laughs> and uh i bought a mattress topper and i had to wait for it to puff up for two days so i unrolled it on the floor finally put it on my bed and i was like oh God. It was really, it was truly my good place, was like, it was just like sleeping in a marshmallow. Anyway, we're here to talk not about my chronic back problems.
0: Which is a shame because I have so many questions about this mattress topper, but I realized this is not just a chat show. This is a this is a dang <laughs> fan cast. A possibly Hugo nominated fan cast. thank so we you gotta... so
1: much to our, one of our uh, uh our Chris, yes. dear listeners Chris is nominating us for best fan cast in the Hugo Awards. Could you imagine? <laughs> this, no.
0: I can't. Although I have to admit I was telling one of my friends like if it if then I don't know how these nominations work. Like I don't know if it has to pass some sort of muster or if it's literally just you get to throw whatever you want into the hat. But if it actually is a real nomination, then I will never stop putting the adjective Hugo nominated in front of everything I do, say or be.
1: I'm gonna put it on my <laughs> resume. <laughs>
0: The Hugo nominated mother of two is going to be getting her children ready for school now. Yeah. The Hugo nominated civil servant is
1: going to answer her email now. Like just... The Hugo nominated sisters would like a table at your fine establishment. Exactly. Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Yeah. Oh, we're really helping
0: our case, aren't we? <laughs> uh, yes.
1: Um, so, you know, vote for us if you can. I don't even know how that works, but <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Speaking of, let's do some more housekeeping up top before we get into the recap for Mondays, Am I Right? You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Goodplay, Rocks. Uh, please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice, We're nearing the end, folks, which is really sad, Um, but we would love to have some more people join us for the finale when it will be 90 minutes of sobbing. Oh, is Um, it 90? I thought it was 60. It's 90? No, our show will be 90 minutes of sobbing. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um, You can also follow and like us on Facebook. We have a group called The Good Play. Uh, Twitter, we are at The Good Play Pod, and Marissa live tweets every new episode, and you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. So- we do
0: have one email this week. It's from my old college pal, Gandhi. And he has a very long list of things we were underinformed about re-Star Wars.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So for those of you who are interested in rehashing uh, Rise of Skywalker, stay with us at the end, I guess. Yeah. All right. So do we want to jump into the recap for Monday's Am I Right? Yes. So
0: the opening scene, the cold open here, is we are in the bad place, sort of our typical bad place set up, uh, set, if you will, of all the sort of like soulless desks in the big room. Open office plans are, in fact, a function of the bad place. The worst. <laughs> and the demons, these are demons we haven't really seen before, but they're all sort of like saying, like, what is going on? We haven't had new humans to torture in a week, and, like, I really need to, like, you know, flatten someone's penis. <laughs> so there's gonna be a lot... There's a lot of penis talk in this. Mm-hmm. this is the second half Last of the uh, fourth season. too, yeah. And they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And Bad Janet gets them, uh, sort of rounds them up, brings them to a meeting with Michael, Sean, and the cockroaches, and Sean is like, I'm gonna be <laughs> working with Michael. <laughs> <laughs> <Blah."> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the demons are all like horrified at this. And Michael's like, yeah, I'm your new boss. And they're like, "Uh, absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, So that's sort of the the A plot of this episode is um, Janet, Michael. Sean kind of forks off after this. We don't really see him the rest of the episode. But it's Janet, Michael, and then Tahani offers to act as their test subject. So it's the three of them trying to train trying to train the demons in the new system. And then the B-plot is, in my opinion, it's a little weak, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's Eleanor and Chidi. So they go to sort of pick the first humans to go through the new system. And they basically want to pick people who should like just skate through. Yeah. And Chidi has a great like list up on his blackboard of like, you know, like Nelson Mandela and stuff.
1: Norman Borlaug. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that means that they have access to the files of everybody who's ever died. And that means that they have access to their own files, which is uh, not great. So I think I'm just going to kind of get this plot out of the way because there's not much to it. Yeah. Like, you know, Eleanor has this crisis of like, you can never look at my file. Um actually, you have to look at my file. And Chidi's and like very confused by her mixed messaging, which is pretty hilarious. He's like, is this a sex game? And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like fair question when you're talking to Eleanor, right? But he takes her file to read it. And because Eleanor's like, you might as well just like, you know, if you're going to break up with me over the fact that I did a lot of really, really bad things while I was alive, like kind of like, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah. So Chidi reads her whole file and comes to her and is like, look, you know, this, I, I love you. That's not changed by having read this. In point of fact, you know, you got dealt an incredibly difficult hand in life. You basically had to raise yourself and like, you had to hustle all the time just to put food on the table. And like, I, I, how much was a fault you for that? Now, like also she did a lot of other terrible things, right? but like, I think Chidi wisely sort of realizes that it's all of a piece mm-hmm. that like the reason that she had such bad self-control and had such poor relationship skills was because she had this terrible home life. Right. But but then he's like, "Oh, but the real problem is that I'm too boring for you." Like I I never did anything you know, interesting, like his file is like visibly smaller than hers, it's like one tenth the size or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're, you're going to get bored of me. And, you know, how can we be together for eternity? Uh, you know, if you get bored of me and she's like, I'm not going to get bored of you. And he kind of, he freaks out a little bit. And then he insults Jason sort of inadvertently because Jason says something like, look, opposites attract, it's fine. And Shady says, yeah, you have to believe that because you're with Janet. And Jason's like, cool, thanks. Right? Because it's like the obvious implication of like, Janet is the smartest being that there is. So therefore, Jason, which like, look, it's true.
1: but Although we find out in this episode, he did read Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> he did, which is kind of unbelievable, but okay. <laughs> Maybe he just
0: saw the Boz Lerman adaptation. Yes, which is great. Two yeah. thumbs up. So Chidi goes through this whole sort of, like, crisis of faith or whatever, that they can actually be together forever, which, look, forever's a long time. (laughs) Um, And then Jason kind of tricks him, you know, Mm because Chidi goes to Jason and says, you know, if the two of you really love each other, then you can make it work. And, she, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then Jason's like, yeah, you know, all the things you just said to me about me, like, are things you should say to yourself about yourself, and okay, great, Cheedy and Eleanor are back on track, everything's fine. It was, I don't know what that plot was, honestly. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know if it was like, well, you know, sitcoms have an A and a B plot, and we needed a B plot, and like, you know, and it was, like, I don't want to get too much into discussion, but like, we just
1: figured out that Cheedy is confident Cheedy now, like, can we not do this? <laughs> Well, she even says that. She's like, what are you doing? You're confident cheaty now. And he's like, well, I'm confident in my feelings for you, but I'm also confident that I'm too boring for you. And, you know, I I think they probably, I think we are veering a little bit more into discussion, but like, I think they probably could have done something more interesting with reading everybody's files. Like, I would think that like, maybe Eleanor like reads her parents' files and like figures out why they are the way they are or something like that.
0: Yes, I think that there were a lot of really interesting ways to go here or like disagreements about, you know, who kind of is the top priority for for doing this first. And if it's a matter of like, maybe Chidi says, the people that we have to get through the system ASAP are the ones who are like the morally best people. And maybe Eleanor or Jason says, no, like the people that we love, we want to get them, you know, eh." out of this sort of limbo you know what I mean like
1: they're, yeah, there's that's like true. a they lot did, of ways they could have gone they did sort of abandon their main task in order to have this b-plot I think maybe a better b-plot would have been like you know <laughs> Jason rattles off a nonsensical list of people was pretty great. The Kool-Aid th- man, I think, was on it. The Kool-Aid man, uh, the GPS lady who tells you where to drive, <laughs> um, karate kid, right? But, like, I think they could have done something interesting with, like, who is, who they think would be the quote-unquote easiest case, or who mm. they think is deserving of going through this first, or it would have, it could have been an interesting philosophical argument of, like, well no, you know, we. what about Brent? Or, like, what about, you know, somebody... What about Simone? Or what about somebody else, as you said, who we've met along the way? Or go in a completely different direction and say, like, well, let's test this on, like, someone really difficult so we can see, like, you know, the edge cases of how long this is going to take, right? But they... Instead, they to your point, they sort of abandoned that and just had this sort of... You know, it, it gave Jason some good sort of low-key being wise which is his his deal now is to like low-key be the wisest person in the room but right. other than that it didn't really do much like let Chelinor be i think is the hashtag let Chelinor be at this yes. point
0: I, I you there are so many arguments you could come up with for like well honestly you uh, I guess you have to order them somehow. Although there's an argument to be made that if they're all being tortured simultaneously, then certainly they can all be tested simultaneously. Like, Mm -hmm. why is that actually... But I guess, okay, we're training people up for this testing thing. All the demons are not available for for testing because they have to go through a training program. Fine. So you could be like, the person who was tortured the longest. Like, you know, whoever... Whoever the first entrant to the bad place was, which wow, that's a question, isn't it? Was is it like an Australopithecus? <laughs> is it a Homo habilis? Like wh- when did we start having souls? Uh, hmm. NBC network TV show. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah. whoever was tortured the longest, or you? I mean, I know the show has treats this subject like the absolute third rail of their whole like afterlife scheme but like children women and children first right? women and women first Uh, (laughs) like there's all kinds of arguments you could have about like what the correct order is for sort of letting people and then there's also an argument to be made of like it doesn't matter because eternity is eternity and waiting an extra jeremy baramy to kind of be moved from a state of stasis to a state of you know hopefully eventually getting to the good place like doesn't matter mm-hmm. so i don't know lots lots of stuff to chew on lots of lots lots of nice uh plot gristle to chew on there if you want to but no we're just back to like okay but are we really gonna be together forever so like i did see i'm sorry we're just veering completely into discussion but i did want to kind of cover this like I did see someone say, say, like, this is kind of a logical anxiety for them to have because every time they've been together in the past, it's been like they're running, you know, on the on a knife's edge. You know, mm-hmm. they are, their lives, their afterlives, their friends, something is in terrible danger. They're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. And, like, this is the first time that they've actually kind of got to, you know, put their hackles down and let out a breath. And that's a very different context for a relationship than the mm-hmm. prior context mm-hmm. so that it it's not that it doesn't make sense it's just ugh, i don't know man i love you know brianna and i are both died in the wool chellinor fans mm, you got there before me but yeah but sure but you've been but you've been there a long time yeah you know this is you know you're not a new convert certainly no <laughs> but it does kind of feel like okay two episodes ago was so amazing of like, there is no answer, but Eleanor is the answer. And then last episode, he just is like, I've assimilated all my past lives and I love you and we're cool. And then now we kind of have to like backpedal into like, Oh, but is it real? And it's like, it just doesn't seem like a good use of time.
1: Not when, not when there are more interesting questions to be asked about the afterlife scheme, which I think is if I can steer us sort of back towards the, the a plot. Like, that is about the A-plot, right? Like, the mechanics of the afterlife scheme and how are people going to acclimate to the new one? How are the demons going to acclimate to the new system? And because Chidi says, like, we have to pick people who are really easy to usher through because, you know, we have to build confidence in the system. So I think if they had kind of, like, played off of that in both... The A and the B plot. I think people probably would have been more satisfied because I saw. I I wrote some. I wrote down some reviews that we can talk about at the end. But a lot of the reviewers had the same feeling you did, which is like this is a little tired to watch. Cheedy, you know, and Eleanor kind of running in circles about their relationship status, like you know. So I, I I think probably the A plot is the stronger of the two in this situation. So back to the A plot. We see an
0: amazing training video. I mean, this thing is like—if you've ever had to watch a corporate training video, like this is so good. There's like nobody can act. I mean, it's, it's the cockroaches and 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 Janet and Michael, but none of them can act because it's the show within the show. And in fact, Jason is like reading his lines after—they're clearly written on his hand. Yeah. It's like, but how will the test work? Yeah. <laughs> And it ends with Janet and Michael doing a cover of the Tina Turner song, Simply the Best. They're going, it's simply, it's simply the, the test. test. <laughs> Better
1: than other tests.
0: <laughs> and the demons are like, this is so lame. Michael's like, okay, so we have Tahani here and we're going to sort of use her as a test case. You're going to learn to design tests based on Tahani based on her you know insecurities uh, flaws what have you and they're like oh i don't know about this and then Vicky comes in i mean she's just <laughs> she looks amazing she looks great god she looks amazing and she's just like you know i'm here i'm you know i'm i'm here to 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 join and michael's like uh i don't know about this and vicky's like why not you know like i I knew your neighborhood better than anybody. You know, I, she's like, I, you know, I spent 300 years with Tahani. Like I know her insecurities pretty well at this point. Like I'm actually, I think I'm going to be good at this. And Michael's like, okay. So Tahani goes into this like reality simulator device thingy where, you know, she's, it's it's like, um what's that thing in Star Trek? The holodeck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like a Star Trek holodeck where she's in the middle of a room and and okay so the demons have not Vicky the other demons have designed a scenario you know to test Tahani allegedly okay fine so the holodeck comes on and she is in like a fancy dinner party and some waiter offers her canapes or something and she's like oh and then it's all of a sudden she turns around and there's a giant bear there with chainsaw paws (laughs) (laughs) and she's like screaming and, and Michael shuts it off and he's like no, (laughs) this is not, no, like, you're, no, (laughs) we're not torturing people anymore, we're testing them, like, you have to make these things smaller and more relatable, so they turn the holodeck back on, and a different demon tries, and this time, as she's offered the canopy, she turns around, and there's a very small bear with chainsaw hands, and as he's, you know, growling at her and waving the chainsaw hands, he goes, Mondays, am I right?
1: (laughs) Right? Or does he... That's what happens, right? He says Mondays, am I right? And he's wearing a t-shirt that says something about bacon. Oh, yes. Okay, thank you. And
0: Michael's like, yeah, you guys aren't getting this. And Vicky's like, yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it next time. Okay. And, And, like, just watch this. And she designs this amazingly horrible thing for, like, okay, maybe we should also talk about this in discussion or maybe we can talk about it in the moment. Like, I'm not exactly sure what the right thing for
1: Tahani to do was in this test. <laughs> no, but like that was, I, I think that's part of it, right? Is that like, you can handle it in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, it sort of reminded me of her test in uh, in the judge's chambers when she right. confronts her parents. Right and and she is able to kind of like have a civil conversation with them and and let their absorb their all of their terribleness and then kind of let it roll off her back and basically leave with her head held high. But yeah, this was this was a really tough one. I don't know that I would have uh, gotten through that. Right, well. so
0: it's she's at this dinner party with her parents and Camilla, and so everything is a little bit ahistorical, I guess, because or I mean I she's Tani's not supposed to know she's being tested, but her parents are dead and her relationship with Camilla is really different now. So it's a little weird. I mean yeah, I don't know, but basically her parents are like heaping praise on Camilla and then basically turn to Tahani and say, like and Camilla is like eating it up and and really like focusing this sort of like passive aggression at Tahani.
1: Mhm.
0: And her parents kind of turn to Tahani and say, "You know, would you like to also pay tribute to your beautiful perfect sister Camilla?" And then, you know, Tahani kind of like pauses the test and is like, "Yeah, that's good. Like I feel traumatized." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. G- good job, I guess. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just, I don't know, you know, I I think, I think ultimately Tani and Camilla's parents were abusive. And I think that forcing someone to take the quote unquote test of being faced with their abusers and kind of having to turn the other
1: cheek is like not a test I'm super into. You know, it does I, I think it maybe depends on the situation and the circumstance, but, like, maybe it doesn't have to be turning the other cheek. Maybe it is standing up for yourself. Maybe it is, you know... Maybe not making a scene, but, like, maybe it is just advocating for yourself or, you know, finding a way to subvert their expectations that you are always going to react the way that you've reacted in the past, right? I, I mean, I think... I'm in the really,
0: like, the only winning move is not to play mindset here, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if I'm... Now, she's not supposed to know it's a test. Like, I don't I don't know how any of this makes sense, ultimately. Because if you know that... I think these people know that... I think the, the concept of this afterlife is that these people know that they're dead, right? They don't necessarily know they're being tested, but they know that they are dead. Right. And if you see your dead parents and your living sister. I don't know how you're, Mm, I just don't know. Right. Like, how are you going to interpret that? Right. This is not, you're not going to believe that that's really your sister who has died. Right. You're going to say, Oh my God, did you also die? She's like, what are you talking about? Like, none of this really works for me on a practical level, but, but I think, you know, the quote unquote right answer I would have is like, leave the party, I guess. Like, don't Don't blow up at anybody. Yeah, don't engage. Just be like, okay, I'm going to go now. Like, to just draw that really firm boundary. Because that's, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of as, like, a real
1: advice for somebody in that situation. Right. Boundaries. Yeah. I I mean, and I think this was a very particular situation. I'm not sure, like, how exactly, like, do people... Are people told in advance like you are being tested, or no? Are that's they? What, I don't think that they are. I don't, I don't think, think so either. Are. So I do think that this is a little like the it's an approximation. I think more to show the type of test that people would receive. It's not going to be bears with chainsaw paws. It's going to be the people in your life who had you know gotten a rise out of you or or made you uncomfortable or. The people in your life who um, encouraged you to do bad things, or you know any negative elements in your life that you kind of have to learn how to navigate, you know, one of the things they could have done instead was maybe like because at the beginning, what I think was interesting about this test is at the beginning of it, Camilla's friends are gossiping with Tahani about oh that's right I forgot uh, about the fact that uh, Camilla's latest album was not as well received and she might have to fly coach now and she's such an embarrassment but she doesn't know it right Mm -hmm. and so the friends are feeding her all this ammunition if she wants to say something and so she has to kind of figure out is this the right moment to do that but i also think like they could have just as easily put Tahani in a situation where somebody compares her to her sister, and it doesn't have to be her parents, but, like, we've seen this time and time again in the iterations of her life where, like, people are comparing her to her sister or forgetting about her and praising her sister instead. You know, so I think in a real test situation, maybe you aren't running into, like, uh, people who are dead and alive... Like, maybe you aren't running into those exact people, but you're put in approximate situations. Like, I think Eleanor taking these tests could have been really interesting because, like, you know, she tells that story in one episode about, like, the little voice in her head that tells her not to do the bad thing. Like, even if we had seen her, like, going through her day and, like, having opportunities to take advantage of people and not doing that. Right. They're more generic people, maybe. But, yeah, I think functionally, this raised some questions from like a technical perspective. (laughs) Right. It was like
0: a nice, I think it was a narrative shorthand. Yeah, yeah, I agree. More than it was like a real exemplar for the people who were being trained. Yeah. So Tani's like, okay, that was very effective. And Vicky sort of turns the other demons and says like, it's not about, you know, it's not about all these sort of base things you were doing before. You know, you really have to look inside their their souls, you know. Think of it as flattening the penises of their heart.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just a great line. And so everybody's really impressed, but Michael's like, no, 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 the, you know, you you think this went well, but actually there's all kinds of details that you can't see, but I can see, and you have to leave now, and, and, and you didn't do a very good job, and go away. And Vicky kind of, I think Vicky says that's a series wrap on Vicky and flounces <laughs> out, which I wonder if that was actually the last scene she filmed for the series. In Maybe. which case, that's, pro- that's really funny. So Jenna and Tahani kind of go after Michael. Like, wh- why would you do that? Like, she was doing a really good job. Like, they the demons were responding to her. They weren't responding to us. Like, what are you doing? You're going to put the whole project in jeopardy. And Michael goes, look, my whole life I've just been, you know, busting my ash, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like Michael says his work has always been his purpose that he has spent his whole existence like pushing like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a hill and the rock always rolls down the hill. I've I empathized with this a lot. Me too. Like me that, too. Yeah, when he was an architect, when he was living in the good bad place When he was on the run from the Federales, (laughs) when Mm -hmm. he was trying to prove his case to the judge, like he was always pushing a rock up a hill, pushing a rock up a hill, that was always roll down. And then, you know, Vicky just comes along with this rock lifter (laughs) that she just, you know, effortlessly picks it up and moves it over. And boy, boy, oh boy, did I just that that really resonated with me in a way that did not make me
1: feel good (laughs) when he said who am i if the rock is gone that got me Mm -hmm. that got me a lot a lot a lot a lot
0: i mean if you've ever really struggled with something or you know i will never forget there was this one class that i had to take at work this was like 10, it was literally 10 years ago at this point, but I'm not going to forget this. How like, you know, it's its me and a bunch of other sort of early career people and we're learning this particular skill set and we're all sitting around and there's this one guy who just, I think, by the way, this guy has matured a lot in the you know intervening decade. Like, <laughs> I still see him around. He seems like a nicer guy now. But like, just this one guy who just kept kind of like finishing everything and being like, this is so easy, you know? Like, and I was struggling so much with this material, like just struggling and struggling. And, and, you know, I felt like I never found my footing. And I just like, I would just like go home and cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there there is something when something is extremely effortful for you, and it is apparently effortless for somebody else, that it just creates a bad feeling in your soul, like almost nothing else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because you you start to think of it as like a personal failing rather than a difference in aptitude.
0: I, I mean even
1: a difference in aptitude is not great, right? <laughs> I mean I but I I mean I mean like not a a deficit in aptitude, I mean a difference like a, you know, mm. you are differently inclined than this person and so you might be better at something else or you might have a completely different skill set that is still applicable in some way than this other person but yeah no it can it can definitely and and for me the part of this that that was difficult is you know he is um like he realizes he's going to be out of a job and what does he do and and when you've defined yourself by your work what happens when you don't have any work which is something that (laughs) not to get too real but like I have dealt with And so, yeah, like, what do you do when you've defined yourself by your work, when you've defined yourself by your successes, and all of a sudden... Or even just by your struggles. Yeah, 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 that's right. Less so, with him, it was less so about the successes, because he didn't really have many. He had a lot lot of struggles along the way. And who, like, this is sort of about him finding himself, And, and I thought that was a much... More interesting way to play it for him than, oh, he's just got a grudge against Vicky because...
0: Oh, yeah. This A plot is flawless as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. They really hit this one out of the park. It's the B yeah. plot that's weak. Yeah. So Michael realizes, you know, they, they agree Michael has to get Vicky back. So Michael goes and finds Vicky as she's about to go to her ice cold yoga class. <laughs> and she said, and he says, look, you know, I need I need you to do this with me. I need us to work together. And she's like, look, I... You know, if I, if you and I are colleagues on this, like the demons are going to see me as your puppet and they're never going to take orders from me. And Michael's like, okay, you have to wrest it from my control. So when they are, you know, Michael goes back to the training room where he and Janet and Tahani are sort of standing in front of the group of demons and then. Vicky kind of comes in and is like, I'm wresting control of this from you. And Michael's like, oh, What an unexpected development. <laughs> like it's this very like anybody with two brain cells to rub together realizes that it's staged, but the demons seem to completely take it as as genuine. Yeah. And Vicky's just like, I, you know, this is gonna be all mine now. And Michael's like, Oh, you've beaten me, and <laughs> Vicky's like, but we're going to do a dance battle from West Side Story. And Michael's like, maybe another time. Okay, bye. He's, he's like, I'm too upset over the
1: coup to do that right yes. now. Let's go. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then we had like a big time jump. Yeah, I liked this, actually.
0: I did too. So it says 1.28 Jeremy Baramese later. <laughs> and we're back in the original Good Place neighborhood where Vicky is calling all the shots. She's got her like clipboard and, you know... She's like, boss lady in charge, sort of, you know, good place architect's over here, bad place architect's over there, you know, fire demons over here or whatever, yeah. and, you know, this, this is your, everyone's going to be receiving your training schedule and whatever. Like, she's got this very well
1: in hand. Yeah. And they share a look. Michael and Vicky kind of share a little look, which I appreciated.
0: Mm. So Janet tells Michael, we got to find your next rock, which was sweet of her, although... It does sort of raise the question of what he's been doing for the last 1.28 Jeremy Barabies, which seems like a long period of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: So they put the first bunch of neighborhoods up. Like Those are finally running. And we see the cockroaches all standing together. And they hear like the, like the, ah, sound of like ascension. And Eleanor's like, who is that? Was it Prince? If it wasn't Prince, we got to rethink this whole thing. And Michael says to them, no, it's the four of you. The... I lost it everybody. I <laughs> was like, "Oh my
1: god. It it's our babies, our chili babies."
0: Yeah. He says it turns out saving every soul in the universe is worth a few points and you guys get to go straight to the good place. So that balloon that we saw at the end of season 2 or the sort of the maybe the mid-end of season 2 reappears, the golden balloon to heaven, that and he's like it's real this time. <laughs> so they all, the six of them all get on it. Janet and Michael. And, uh, you know, I think Michael says something like he's ready for another adventure. It's very much like he's going into the West.
1: Yeah. He's a cheat. He's like, are you coming too? And He's like, yeah, I might as well. Recently unemployed. I might as well do some traveling. Yeah.
0: So the six of them get in the balloon and they, and they lift off and we hear, uh, Jason yell "Fools!" <laughs> uh, and that is, that is it. Our sweet, sweet chili
1: babies got into the good place. We, we had a Facebook comment about that. You want to read it? Uh, yes. Susan Cl- uh, C says, I surprised myself by breaking into sobs at the end of the episode for reals. And I didn't sob, but I found myself getting choked up. I was like, oh, it's, 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 it's something that we've talked about on this show where we're basically just like, God, I hope they get to be left alone forever and they don't have to yes. go through this. And we were correct. And I think that was so part of the B plot was the assumption that Cheedy and Eleanor would have to go through the tests before they found each other again. Mm. And turns out they didn't need to do that. So they just get to f- fly right into their afterlife together. So
0: I read some interesting commentary from the cast on this episode. Okay. So I think it was William Jackson Harper who said that Mike Shore talks about how most sort of comedies in the classical sense, most comedies end in a marriage, but the marriage is really, the marriage is its own whole story. Like that actually, you know, the wedding day is actually not, and I have always, I've, I've started thinking this right basically since I've been married of like, you know, all the Austin novels, like all these like classic uh, Shakespeare style comedies or whatever. Like, you know, the the part where you get together and get married, like that's actually the easy part, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it turns out, and that everything that's after that is actually more difficult and more interesting. And that's apparently Mike Shore's sort of POV on this, which is that that you know them getting into the good place is is sort of the point where you get married but then actually everything that happens after that is sort of more difficult and more interesting interesting yeah so I am very curious to see sort of how that plays out as the uh as the next two episodes this is it two more episodes
1: oh my god
0: I know as the next two episodes sort of bring us into the good place and like we've never seen the good place what the heck does it actually
1: look like
0: yeah, and not a mailroom. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. We did see the mailroom of The Good Place.
1: But, you know, I think that's really interesting because that's the the reviews that I read uh, that I'll get into now are mostly focused on, you know, it, it's a very nice vision of them to have, like, floating away up into The Good Place, but everybody's like, no, 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 no. They're not getting yeah. off that easy. Like, this no. is this is a Mike Sure show. <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not convinced that, That the cockroaches are going to get like a perfectly happy ending that easily with, you know, three episodes left to go. So the the finale is going to be the length of two episodes. So uh, Hypeable says, uh, The labor appears to be over in The Good Place Season 4, Episode 11. The burden laid down for Chidi and Eleanor in their likely romance and for Michael in his previously ceaseless efforts. The final test is left untaken, the last rock uh, rolled up the hill by itself that's why it feels like the good place still has a pin left to pop in that golden balloon if there's yeah. any, if there's anything this series has taught us it's that improvement of the self of your relationships and perhaps of the entire macro concept of the afterlife is not a limited labor there's always work left to do and i think that fits in really nicely with what you were just saying marissa that like you know the the relationship doesn't stop once you have your first kiss or once you get married. the the afterlife in this case the new version of the afterlife isn't completely set. Now that Vicky is like standing there with her clipboard very confidently, like they still have to go through this and see what it's really going to be like for everybody and and for all the people coming through the good pl- or the the new version of the afterlife. It really is about that improvement. So, you know, I don't think this show is going to stop throwing uh, roadblocks. Yeah. And the AV Club said a very similar thing. <laughs> well, Team Cockroach has won before, and if there's one thing the good place has taught us, it's that there's always a catch. There are some reveals a come <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. I do think that they ultimately... It's not going to be a situation where you know, the final episode reveals that they're stuck in a horrible good place forever and there's nothing they can do, right? That's not what this show is. Right. The show is not about hopelessness and it's not about nihilism or anything like that. But it's also not about, I think it, whichever one you just sort of quoted is like the easy out or whatever. Right. Like they're probably right. going to get to heaven and find out that it is forked up in its own way, Right. Like, they're probably going to get there and it's going to be, like, it's super boring or everybody's separated from each other or, like, there's something deeply wrong with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, we've talked about before on this show about heaven being essentially a gated community. So what happens, you know, do they have to do any convincing of the residents who haven't seen any new residents in over 500 years like, what is that acclamation going to be like for them to all of a sudden have new people showing up? And how are they going to react to that? I, I think even that is an interesting story to tell. Or, yeah, like, is it going to be a situation where is somebody sad because, you know, they're waiting for their family to show up, right? Oh, God. the <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We
0: haven't, we really, I would be surprised if they went that route at this point, because we haven't done anything ever in four years about anybody dead, pining for another dead person, the company of a person that they knew in life. As we've talked about in this podcast, the closest we ever got was Brent asking where his bros were. Yes, yes. If all of a sudden we get to heaven and it's full of sad people who are like, where is my mommy? Like, I... Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can deal with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, Well, I I, I just brought that up because I was re-listening to our episode from last week and we talked about, like, Jason's mom, right? Yes. Like, is Jason going to be, like, waiting for his mom to get there? Or you know, does Tahani have to run into her parents after they've been through, like, wouldn't that be interesting for Tahani's parents to have to go through these simulations and realize that they were terrible to their own daughter and <laughs> then come out the other side and then have to run into their daughter in the afterlife after they've been. Well, do you think they're reformed? all in one big place though?
0: I don't think I don't know. so. Not if, if they have, if they truly have neighborhoods, then I don't think you run into anybody who's not in your neighborhood. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there could be all kinds of... Look, they can throw all kinds of monkey wrenches in at this point that, like, you know, the four of them get split up and set, or the six of them get split up and sent to separate neighborhoods or that they want to reboot Janet or that Michael isn't welcome. Like, there's, like, they they have an entire palette of possibilities out before them now because we've never seen The Good Place and we have no idea what the rules are. The Good Place, The Place, not The Good Place, The Show. <laughs> we've never
1: seen The Good Place. All of this has been conjecture. <laughs> <laughs> this whole... The years we've been doing this. Yeah, I really think, you know, they are... And will we ever see the good place? It's possible we won't. Hmm. You think that we, they might actually never get there in their golden balloon? Or we as an audience might not see them there. Maybe we'll stick around and, and get some shenanigans in the, in the uh, testing facility. No, I... Sorry, I don't think... <laughs> I don't know. No, I think we have to follow through
0: on our cockroach team and, you know, get watch. the 411 and exactly what their afterlife is. And watch that they're the gonna have to finally taking her welding class. <laughs> I mean, it is going to be a situation. I think it's ultimately going to be a situation where they find out that they have, like, a new job to do. Right? Whatever yeah. that is. If it's, like good place acclamation society. I don't know. <laughs> like all the all of a sudden you're gonna have like an influx of residents. Like is that gonna destabilize something? Like all yeah. kinds of ways we can go here. And, you know, I trust the team I, I think I think they're gonna stick the landing. Yeah. I think that the Eleanor and Cheedy subplot in this one was a little bit weak, but I don't expect that to be the case for the next two episodes, that they're going to have, like, a B-plot that doesn't really work,
1: because they don't really have time. <laughs> no, they really don't have time. Yeah. I, I, and we've never been good at predicting what's going to happen on no, this show. No, nobody is! So, I'm very, I'm very interested to see what happens next. What's the... Oh, oh? so this brings me to... The next mm. episode is called Paddy. P-A-T-T-Y. Someone's name. Yes. Wasn't Eleanor's mom's stepdaughter named Patricia? They are not going to kill a child. I know that. I wouldn't expect them to. But But... I'm sort of wondering if it has something to do with Eleanor's mom's journey to becoming Hmm. a better mother. Interesting. That
0: would be a monkey wrench in and of itself. I can't say that I would particularly care for that, that, like, all of a sudden Eleanor now has to deal with her dead mom on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's possible. I just... I, I kind of wanted to say something about Chelinor. Okay. I think you have it in the notes I could talk about it for 45 minutes, but you might actually be surprised with where I go with this, which is that, like... Maybe. Forever is a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think... I truly don't think that there are any two humans who could truly have a functional intimate relationship for an a literal eternity.
1: <laughs> I just I just
0: don't I'm sorry. I just don't think it's possible. It's not even like it's I don't even know if it's getting bored with somebody so much as it is like boy, I don't know. Maybe it is getting bored with somebody, but it's not like, oh, I'm getting bored with Chidi because he's a boring person. It's just that, like, there's only so much you can wring out of another person. <laughs>
1: that sounds terrible, but like. I can't wait for you to give a toast at my wedding.
0: <laughs> Enjoy it while you can, children. <laughs> I just don't think, you know, I, I think. Um, Part of the reason, there's a lot of reasons that the divorce rate is kind of as high as it is. And I don't mean to downplay, like, the many, many, many factors that go into it. But certainly one of the factors is, like, dang, we live a long time. Like, much longer than we used to. (laughs) Noah Baumbach's A Marriage Story. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, a hundred years ago, you were not probably going to be married to the same person for 60 years. And now it's very much a possibility. And I and if the human soul kind of can't manage... And we're talking about people who, you know, don't really have that many cares in life. I realize everybody's got their own burdens. But we're not, I'm not talking about, you know, tro- truly out there situations involving leg abuse and, and substance abuse and, and whatever. I'm talking about, like, stable, quiet, middle class people, you know... But I, I just if, if those people can't really manage to stay married for 60 years, which most people can't, then I don't see how two people are gonna be able to be intimate with each other for a literal eternity. Well, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like relationships in the afterlife would be like you're with somebody for a while and then you go, okay, now we're gonna go our separate ways with the understanding that we can always come back to each other because we have an eternity, right? There. What? What do you lose by saying like, let's take like a ten year break from each other? It's not like, you know, there's all kinds of consequences to that in real life. You know, if you if you're married to someone, and then you take and then you divorce for ten years. You want to get back together? It's like, but I had a kid with this other person, and our fine our finances are enmeshed, and you know, uh, I, I've moved to Milwaukee for this other person's job. Like, there's just like, there's all these logistics that like in heaven just don't exist. It's it's, interestingly,
1: that is part of the plot of, uh, cheers with Sam and Diane (laughs) that they, I mean, we talked about this when we did the Ted Danson cheers episode. Um, and we all know that Mike sure is a huge fan of cheers. So it may be that we see some unconventional version of, you know, because in this episode, he was saying, like, you might get bored of me and you might want to, like, go to somebody else. And she's like, well, if Frida Kahlo wants to make out with me in heaven, then you and I are going to have to have a conversation. So, like, I think, you know, it's a playful way of doing it, but they did sort of leave the door open for, like... We don't, it's the afterlife. Ethical afterlife non-monogamy. Yeah, or like, you know, do they have to be glued together? I mean, I think they, um, before Chidi got his mind wiped at the end of last season, he did say, like, let's just get through this and you and I can chill out in the dot of the eye forever. Right. And I think that really means, like the two of them together forever. And like, that's a very nice image to have, I think, especially, and it's a comforting image when you're about to lose somebody to say there is a place where you and I can be together. Yes. There's forever. There's a place for us. Yes. Another, not the dance battle from West side story, but another number from West (laughs) side story. But, you know, but going back to your point and, and kind of like bringing in cheers a little bit, like Sam and Diane had this, you know, very tumultuous relationship and, She leaves and she has like a whole career and Ted Danson uh, stays on and she comes back and they get back together. And then they ultimately decide that they are not meant for each other. And you and I had a whole conversation about like, well, 10 years is a long time. Like maybe it could have been an interesting character growth if they had said like, you know, she's less type A and he's like less of a, dry, drunk kind of, like, frat <laughs> yes. boy now. And, like, you know, we've both matured and maybe we can be together. Um, but we know that Mike sure is a, a fan of Cheers, and so I wonder, you know, if there are some kind of... I like- mean, that would be a bold
0: move for the next episode to be a time jump, like, 12 Jeremy Baramies later, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like and for, ch- for Cheety and Eleanor to have... You know, I don't want to say fallen apart, but for them to have mutually decided to separate.
1: Yeah, or like I think about the the ending, the the series finale of the Wonder Years. I don't know if you remember this at all. I do remember his dad dies. It's very sad. But you know the the relationship, the foundational romantic relationship, is with Winnie, Winnie Cooper, uh, who we love, and she
0: is big into getting girls into math, and so. I love her for that.
1: Yes. And um, she's also in a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies now. (laughs) Um, So we love her for that too. So Winnie decides that she's going to go study in France. And he promises that he will be there to pick her up when when she comes home. And the voiceover says that he did come to pick her up, but he came with his wife and children Mm. to pick her up. That's right. And so it is this sort of. Which I think made a lot of people mad at the time. I think that's probably true. But I think it is, to your point, a much more realistic version of what would have happened. I mean, this was not. The Wonder Years was not during a time when, like, you could text someone in another country. (laughs) You really, really had to maintain, like, work a lot harder to maintain a long distance relationship. And I think. The idea that like this is your first love, it's your first meaningful relationship, and for for Eleanor and Chidi, that is this, right? They are having their first meaningful relationships with each other in the afterlife. But this is something that a lot of people, like I had a very significant like first love relationship, and you know theirs just happens to have happened in the afterlife, right? But I think in The Wonder Years, you know, the whole show was about, like, this is sort of this magical time of growth in this young man's life. And it kind of made him who he was. And then to see that he can still have love and affection for this person, but they are not meant to be together forever, I thought was really interesting. And it's something that I've kind of carried with me. So Yeah, I think
0: it was a good choice for that show. And I think... You know, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I would be equally fine, kind of, with either outcome. Either like we do this big time jump in the future and we see that Cheedy and Eleanor are friends, but they are not currently being romantic, but they kind of have the the future possibility open. Or I'm fine with it, like not being a time jump and they're still together because everything is very sort of fresh, right? I mean, they just, this it's been so I don't know. I mean, how long is 1.28 Jeremy Bear? <laughs> I mean, shrug emoji. I really don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think things are still pretty new. It's impossible to know, but I think things are still pretty new. And it's fine if we just end on a note of, like, they're going to be together forever with the sort of, like, adult understanding of, like, well, they may or may not be, but they're happy for now. And that's kind of all that matters in this moment, because... It's going to sound really dark, but like all happiness is temporary. Mm -hmm.
1: And I really can't wait for you to give a speech at my wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, kids. (laughs) (laughs) And they are in an afterlife
0: where, you know, happiness doesn't have to be underpinned by a particular romantic partner. They have access. First of all, they have potential access to like everybody who's ever lived, right? <laughs> right. But secondly, like they can they can also be fulfilled in other ways, you know, potentially infinite ways. That this is this is possibly a landscape in which anything is doable. And if what you need to do is take a break from your lover and instead kind of, like, write a play that you're then going to put on with a bunch of other souls for an audience of a whole bunch of other souls, like, great, you know? Like, romance isn't the only thing that can be a fulfilling part of, you know, like, cornerstone of your life. Like, art is a, is another major one, and, you know, philanthropy, I, I assume that... Even in a place like The Good Place, it doesn't seem like all of their troubles are going to be magicked away. I mean, humans still have human problems, even in the afterlife, in this particular version of the afterlife, right? I mean, the cheaty still has his anxieties, right? And Eleanor and, and Jason, Jason still has his ignorance. Like, there's a lot of things. <laughs> it's not as if Jason, you know, well, I guess we'll find out when they go to the good place, but is Jason suddenly going to have all this knowledge that he should have had from, like, a decent public K-12 education? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can still have philanthropy in the afterlife, right? When you are in this universe where souls don't really change that much when you die.
1: Yeah, I mean, or is the idea, I mean, as we were talking about, this kind of constant self-improvement, like, that can, as you mentioned, like, that can take all all kinds of forms and and I think the, one of the nice things that I really like about this show is that you know there's been obviously some like will they won't they stuff but not the typical we've talked a lot about it like not the typical version of it that you see and it really does focus on like this core group of people together it's not just Eleanor and Chidi it is the six of them And they've become a family. Eleanor and Chidi's relationship is really a big part of it, but it's not the only relationship that has made this situation possible. And so I think it would be interesting to, you know, not just focus on Eleanor and Chidi's relationship, but but make sure that, you know, all of them, like, however that... Family aspect of it for the six of them can survive. I'd be interested to see that, right? So maybe, maybe they're not in romantic relationships, but maybe they still get to be with each other, like all six of them, and and hang out. Or maybe, you know, if I swear to God, if we have to say like a real goodbye to Michael, I'm gonna lose my mind.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness! I no, please no,
1: I'm gonna lose my mind. But like you know he could decide like i've done what i'm here what i've came here to do and you know it's been real and i'm going to like i've taught you everything you've taught me everything you know and i've taught you everything you know and that's enough for me like i guess he could decide that just really go into the west yeah super go into the west <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i i really i can't wait to see what happens and i think that's an interesting certainly Chelinor has been like a a foundational piece, but it's not the only thing that that matters. You know, certainly not for... uh, We've seen Eleanor and Michael's relationship really grow. We've seen Eleanor and Tahani's relationship really grow. And in the episode that we just saw with Chidi, you know, uh, from his point of view, we got to see how all of these characters have affected him and, you know, he got a lot of confidence from Jason, and he got a lot of uh, self-assuredness from, from Tahani. And so I think they all need each other. It's not just about a romantic relationship. It's about the family.
0: Like Vin Diesel.
1: <laughs> well, she, he says, uh, uh, Michael says, like, who am I if the when The Rock is gone? And she says... Uh, <laughs> Tahani, Tahani says, says yeah. like that's what Vin Diesel said to me when when uh The Rock refused to do Fast and Furious Nine. She's like, Oh, I'm not helping.
0: Not important. All right, let's get into let's get into Gandhi's email because we gotta wrap this up. Yeah. So oh it was uh, seven points. <laughs> okay. Let's speed through these. Guys, if you have not seen Rise of Skywalker, we're not gonna say anything else about the good place after this point, so you can just stop the podcast, delete the episode, uh, and you will not be spoiled at all. So, first of all, the lightsaber Ray gives to Ben is Anakin's from before he becomes Vader, which is why Ben wants it so much. Which, like, I guess I get. That's why he wants it so much in the first of the new crew of movies. But reformed Ben should not want it more than his mother's lightsaber, right? Like, back, he's not a Darth Vader fanboy anymore. (laughs) Like, he doesn't... No, no. But then it was Luke's lightsaber, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, if I were Ben, I would still kind of be a little mad at Luke, though, wouldn't you? Like, you did try to kill him for a minute.
1: Just a minute, though. <laughs> Just a minute.
0: <laughs> uh, number two, there have been yellow lightsabers like the Jedi Temple Guards, which I assume is from the prequels, which is why it doesn't exist in our or memory banks. Or Clone Wars? No, it uh, he said, I I would have said we also saw them in Attack of Clones during the stadium battle, but I think that's disputed as green just looking yellowish in the desert. Okay. So maybe Ray's lightsaber is not the first. <laughs> hey, Gandhi's doing some real investigatory journalism for us. <laughs> some real service journalism. <laughs> it's certainly the first yellow lightsaber of a named character, though, right?
1: Yeah, all I know about the colors other than blue and green and red is that uh, Samuel L. Jackson wanted a purple one because he wanted to stand out in the big crowd fights
0: yes I do remember that he the actor insisted that his lightsaber be purple which probably upended like decades of lore or whatever Uh, number three I liked the bearing of the lightsabers they're pretty much undiscoverable but safe unless the force guides someone in need to them Jedi are required to make their own saber anyway so it's unlikely to be needed in normal circumstances they're required to make their own yeah they are this is like this is like only honored in the breach like we like what does that mean it means that like that's not what we've seen ever like Luke doesn't make his own he only makes yes, his own does. once he He only makes his own once he loses his dad's. He would never have made his own if it had been able to keep his dad's. And then Ray doesn't have her own until the end of this
1: movie. Well maybe it's a rite of passage thing. You train on somebody else's and then once you're like super becoming a Jedi, then you get your own. You gotta fashion you gotta like go super. mine the crystals yourself and tink 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 and just like tinker away <laughs> and make it.
0: Number four, do we ever see Luke's green saber again? Oh boy, you're really asking the wrong podcasters, Gandhi. No. I, I, uh, like,
1: uh, in the who, new ones?
0: No. no. Like, never in the new ones? Luke doesn't
1: have it with him on the island? He has it in the flashback in right, episode he's gonna eight. Right, when going to
0: kill Ben. Yes, right.
1: So my assumption is I wonder if he destroys it. Upon seeing that Ben has set fire to everything, or he destroys it when he gets to Octo. I guess we'll never find out. It's cool. Uh, I think Leia's only
0: home was Alderaan, which was blown up in New Hope. Yes, Gandhi, we know. Okay. Yes. Don't come to us. Don't mansplain the original trench to us, Gandhi. (laughs) So, not sure there's somewhere else she could call home other than with Luke, unless we count the Falcon or wherever she and Han lived. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm just imagining the two of them like adventuring together on the Falcon for like however, whatever scant number of happy years they were able to scrape together. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, fair point, I guess. I mean, it still doesn't sit super great with me because literally the only time she was on that planet she was a slave. <laughs> so... I
1: mean, yeah, okay, she's with Luke. I think... The, I guess. But I think your Force ghost can show up anywhere, right? I didn't take sure. that as, like, oh, their Force ghosts live on Tatooine. No! <laughs> they don't, no. Because, no. like, you know, at the end of episode six, the all the Force ghosts, like, Hayden Christensen shows up on Endor. And it's like... Yeah, in the modified, yes. Mm-hmm, yeah, yes. bro, like, you, you definitely have never been here, so, like... Right, but the question is like, is it honoring
0: Leia's lightsaber to bury oh, it to on Tatooine? Bury it there. Oh, 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 I see. I would argue still, like, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I would have said that to bring both of those lightsabers to Skellig Michael would have been, you know, like that's yes. the ancestral Jedi home.
1: Yes, like I agree. bury
0: them on Skellig Michael, and but of course, here's the problem with that. Then they can't have their nonsensical closing lines. <laughs> Because nobody lives on Skellig Michael. Well, except for the Porgs. (laughs) And those like nuns, you know, those like frog nuns. Yeah. Yeah. The frog nuns, I believe they're called. The frog nuns. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think it makes way more sense to put them on Skellig Michael, not because it's Leia's home, but because she was a Jedi. Yeah. And this is the, this is the, the center of the, of the Jedi religion or whatever. Like, they are they are they were at one point the two of them were the only representatives of this let's call it a religion because it's called that sometimes in the movies. You they my were the only
1: all that's left of that old religion.
0: Yes, thank you. <laughs>
1: thank you. Um, at
0: one point they were literally the only two left in the entire universe as sort of the members of this religion. So like why not honor that by burying their lightsabers on the Jedi planet? I think that would have been better. But then we don't get the, like, who are you, Ray? Ray, who? What's your last name? We were just going around here. What kind of rude lady are you not saying your last name? I assumed, so we're talking about the medal that Leia takes to lie down and die with. Uh, I assumed the medal was Han's, the one she gave him at the end of New Hope. Leia put them on Luke and Han and Chewie got stiffed. Good catch. It was not Leia's medal. It was Han's medal that she gave to Han after the Battle of Yavin. Hmm. I had said, yeah. So I had said, like, she takes her Battle of Yavin medal to die. She, in fact, takes Han's Battle of Yavin medal to die. Uh, I mean, I still have objections to this. <laughs> like, I still don't think it makes any sense. Like, if she had taken that little pair of dice... You know, but that, that was, was a, like, a,
1: that's not a, a ridge-tridge. That's a, a new... It's not.
0: So, I mean, I don't know what the thing would be to remind her of her dead husband. I... It's not... I mean, Han Solo traveled pretty light <laughs> as these things go. Well, you got so, to when you're a smuggler. So. <laughs> so maybe there just wasn't any other physical token that she could take with her to die.
1: Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Was that the last point? That was the last point. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I still think it was enjoyable, but all over the place. Every time I think about it, I just think
0: of new ways in which it was a mess, you know, which is not... <sighs> I I just wish that it had gone down differently than it did
1: yeah people like, on my twitter timeline are still upset about it like <laughs> actively i'm like "Are you? i am not okay? actively
0: upset i'm an adult <laughs> right. i'm not actively upset but like i wish that this were a coherent trilogy that i could happily and proudly introduce my children to but as it is it's more of a like odd footnote for me Mm -hmm. Of like, well, the original is still like the heart and soul. And then you have this sort of supplementary material that you can kind of dip into as at will. That doesn't actually form a coherent narrative. And I'm talking about the prequels and the sequels both. Like, neither of them, I would argue. I mean, (laughs) honestly, as I hate to say this, but the prequels have more of a coherent narrative than the sequels do. Taken as a whole
1: because they were leading to something that already existed.
0: Yeah. Well, and because it was one creative vision, yeah, right? It was one directorial voice. It was I'm sure that Lucas broadly knew what he wanted to accomplish in in both both in each of the individual movies, but then also like with the three movies as a whole, he knew what he wanted to do was show the journey of Anakin Skywalker from child to monster and i would he did a terrible job of it but at least you can say that sentence out loud and everybody agrees that that's the plot of the prequels and then like yes. the plot of the sequels like i don't know <laughs> ultimately what if someone said well, what are the sequels about like the trilogy the sequel trilogy what's it about it's like do i mention palpatine do i I mean, I can say it's the story of Rey. That's probably the most coherent story. Or I could say that it's a story of Ben Solo's sort of redemption. I guess it's kind of that, even though that's like the last 30 minutes of the last movie. Right. You know, the original trilogy was defeating the Empire and Luke becoming a Jedi. Right? Yes. And and the prequel was the creation of Darth Vader. And the sequel trilogy is like, well, they went to this casino planet once. Uh- <laughs> Like, failure is important. Also, uh, the Force, and sometimes it just shows up in places. But then it d- turns out not to just show up in places. Like, it it just, it doesn't make sense as a trilogy.
1: Right. It's sort yeah. of like uh, at the end of the Clue movie where you have like, it could have happened like this. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> flames flames
0: on the side of my face man i remember watching that on comedy central and being like this
1: is very innovative (laughs) i like that movie oh it's a it's a cult classic there is a psych episode based on it it's great all right thank you
0: (laughs) if everyone wants uh retweets of uh no context psych please follow at Leo organa solo which is me which is brianna yes yes
1: or you can just follow no context psych. It's great. <laughs> I can't believe we've never done psych on this podcast. I guess we're gonna have to at some point. I... <laughs> Anything else before we
0: No, I before I'm, we bury I'm our lightsabers in
1: the sand <laughs> for now. <laughs> no.
0: Until next time, try to steer clear of the performative wokeness department. We'll
1: see you next time, ding dongs. Knock knock knocking on David's door.
0: You know, it would be like, you know, burying the Dalai Lama at, you know, whatever place that made sense, as I show my incredible ignorance of non-Western religions, you know, rather than, you know, at whatever place his brother happened to, you know, have grown (laughs) up. (laughs) Sorry, I know that didn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) Maybe I should just cut that out. (laughs)